How might you go about finding stocks you could hold for the indefinite future? Stocks whose companies are so strong, so profitable, so clear about their business model that barring some fairly dramatic turn of events, you can feel great about owning them for the long haul. Stay tuned as our own Roshan Lungani gives part two of his two-part deep dive for finding such stocks right now on the Retirement Lifestyle Show. Welcome. You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Show with Roshan Lungani, Eric Olson, and Adrian Nicholson. This show is an exploration of ideas to help you work toward your ideal retirement. Get ready for the financial independence of your dreams. Welcome to the Retirement Lifestyle Show. I'm Eric Olson, once again joined by my two co-hosts, Adrian Nicholson and Roshan Lungani. We're back with part two of a two-part series on Roshan's approach to doing a deep dive on finding stocks that, at least theoretically, you might be able to hold for the indefinite future. And last week, if you were with us, we talked at length about how Roshan, first of all, identifies various stocks through the broad process of ideation, and then what specific screens that he uh, then puts in place so that he can narrow that from that big universe of possible candidates down to a, a, a portfolio uh, set of candidates that's at least sufficiently reduced in number that he actually could have a real shot at actually getting into the weeds with each one of those stocks. And today we now get to learn from Roshan what it is that he does once he's narrowed it down to those, those final candidates that he really wants to scrutinize closely, how he then gets into the recordings that they do, the documents that they produce, so that he's not just looking at high-level quantitative information about these companies. He's understanding the story of that company and how it lines up with his thesis about what are going to eventually become, if they aren't already, the great companies you could hold for the indefinite future. So Roshan, Adrian and I are really looking forward to this part two. And of course, you know I love a series more than anybody. So this, it just makes me happy that we're having a series, even if it was on, let's say comic books or something that kid, just that we have a a series going now. I'm really, really happy about that. Yeah. And if you look at it, it's really a three part series because you broke down factor investing. Then uh, I broke down the screening last week. And uh, this week we're going down once you've screened for a stock, the deep dive. So we've got, we've got uh, a good series here. And I'm sure next week we'll talk about something totally different. Maybe not (laughs) <laughs> maybe we'll keep the streak going. Can I just give listeners, are you going to be showing anything today? Because if, if we have, uh, if you're going to be doing that, I want to point our listeners to the YouTube channel. Uh, I'm not, unless there's anything we've got okay. to search and find. Okay. All right. Well, great. So why don't you tell our listeners why you think this is important? Cause I sure do. So when you, we went over screening last week, I'll go over that criteria again in a moment, but once you've screened to find a company, well, now what? You know, now what do you look for? And I've had many iterations of what I'd call uh, checklists, but they're, they're, they're really research points, things I want to find and understand. I'm going to share that with you today. Uh, a quick recap on last week, what I was looking at for screens, essentially my goal is to manage my time so because the, the deep dive research can take a long time. 
And so I was looking to narrow the list of stocks I wanted to take a deep dive on. I was looking at companies with a market cap over a billion, companies where revenues were growing, companies that were profitable uh, based on their return on uh, capital and return on equity and or, you know, depending on, on the company. I like inside ownerships of companies where, uh, you know, CEO, other levels of management own stock. And then I was viewing from a valuation perspective, the price to earnings ratio, the peg ratio, price earnings growth, the enterprise, the earnings yield, excuse me, uh, the enterprise value to EBIT and enter- enterprise value to EBITDA. And I was using those, and then I was really sorting with multiple fields. So as I came up with what that did was that narrowed the list of, you know, from thousands and thousands of stocks down to about 40. And then I would sort those various fields to figure out, okay, where do I want to spend my time? Now that I've, in theory, selected a company, I want to go into what I'm looking for. And we'll discuss those categories. And Adrian and Eric, I'd love if you have any thoughts or ideas on things to add or things to expand on, any, any questions. But the very first things I, thing I want to do is understand the business. So I try to research the company and look at the business model. A lot of that information can be pretty easily found uh, online now. So you, you go, to their, go to their website. I look at their annual reports uh, and I look at their... Um, their quarterly calls. They've also typically got a lot of presentations online to start understanding the business model. So gentlemen, any questions so far? Yeah, I like where we're starting off with this. And to use an analogy, it seems like you're putting a face to a name, so to speak, where you're screening all these companies, looking at their data, their fundamentals, all this information. And once it passes your screen and this looks like something interesting where you can invest in, you dive in a little bit deeper to paint a picture around these numbers just to see if this is something that you can move more forward with. And it's like you said, it's a presentations, it's calls, it's just more deeper information where you can get to know your investment in an extra level or an extra layer. So I think that's an analogy that I that you're trying to paint for our listeners and our viewers right now. So I really like where we're headed. Yeah, completely right. And if you're if you're investing your money in a company, you want to know where it's going, right? So when you look at the business model, you want to know not only what um, type of business are you investing in and what they're doing with the money, how they're getting those returns. So I think it's very important to understand what does the business do? Some cases, this is very simple. When you look at a, uh, particularly the smaller companies, it's usually a simple business model. They'll pro- provide a product or a service to you know, X, X customer, and you can figure that out. Some, the bigger the companies, the more you know, subsidiaries you have, the, the multiple businesses that you have, it can definitely make it more, more complicated. Um, now, once I've gotten an idea of the business model, what I'm looking for here is next, and this isn't always a deciding factor, but I, I want to know what their market share is, ideally a low, lower market share. The reason I say that is because do they have a room to grow and expand? If I've got a company that's got uh, you know, 90% market share that I'm researching, it's not like I'm going to say, no, I'm not investing to this company. It's just, can they maintain that growth? You know, they've, they've got, if they're dominating the market already, 
how much room do they have to grow? If they've got a low market share, their business model is a good business, good profitable business model, well, they've got a lot of room to expand then. Doesn't the economic environment play a big factor in that? Because, for example, if you're in a really tough economy or market, whatever it may be, it could be very enticing seeing a company have, when we say market share, an example would be just, let's just say there's 10 competitors and one of the competitors is just really selling all their products and really taking on all the business from, from the customer. That's a, that's a large market share. And in an economy that's not doing well, that's something that you really like and it's very enticing for you to invest in where if you're in a really bad market and a company has a very small market share, yes, there's opportunity room to grow, but there's also more risk that they don't meet that and they don't grow, so to speak. That's just something that came to mind when you brought that up. If it, if it, and a lot of what we're going to go over today is going to be what your opinion is as you're researching this. But yeah, there will definitely be a situation where the market share is so low and the bigger player is so dominant that it might be very brief time researching. You'll get to this point. You'll say, okay, I, I don't think this is, this is uh, uh, a good fit for what I want to invest in. So, so yes, that can play, play a part. On the flip side, if you look at it and uh, in your example of 10 companies – Let's say they all have 10% of the market share. So you don't really have a dominant player. Do you think this company you're researching can uh, take market share from the others and become the dominant player? Uh, the next thing I'm looking for is, is it a large and growing market? So to that example of um, 10 companies that own 10% of the market each, if the, if the market itself is growing by 10% a year, if they maintain market share, they're still they're still growing. They're growing at a faster rate than the U.S. economy is typically growing. So that could uh, help lead to outperformance, and they're not even taking market share from a from a competitor. Next, where are they investing their cash flow? So are they taking their money and investing it into a highly profitable place that will that they'll continue to that they can continue to invest in? Are they investing it in a dying business that you don't you don't believe in? Are they sending it all back in the form of uh, dividends uh, and uh, stock buybacks? So when you're investing in this company, you're investing in a business, and as I mentioned earlier, you want to know what they're doing with your with your money, so to speak, right? So where are they putting putting that money, and do you believe in it, right? If they're putting it in a space where there isn't isn't going to be growth. Um, and you don't believe in it, then it's it's probably not the right uh, the right thing, right? Or are they investing in something totally different, right? Are you are you buying a company that's that's known for uh, like a, a a famous one? I might get the story wrong, but I remember at one point McDonald's was like investing in the shrimp business or something like that. And you want to invest in McDonald's. This was this goes back to the '80s, by the way, so it's not necessarily relevant today, but. It, if you're buying them because you like McDonald's and you think McDonald's is growing, but the money they're getting, they're investing in something totally unrelated that they don't necessarily have expertise on, that might be a reason to pass because you want to invest in McDonald's and its continued growth, but they're taking your money and putting it putting it um, somewhere else, right? Where where it doesn't, they don't necessarily have the expertise or their existing business doesn't necessarily uh, benefit them. I remember reading years ago about. 
uh, a famous investor that was putting started investing in McDonald's. As soon as they saw that, they changed those plans and were just trying to expand McDonald's globally. Another um, example is, uh, I, I, I believe Coke uh, had their ventures in other in other spaces as well while they were growing, but they've got their name brand, and then they just said, "All right, we're going to acquire other." Uh, companies in the beverage space and expand, and that's what they've done. They've done a great job of it. The last question on the business itself, this tends to be the toughest one uh, for me. Uh, what is their sustainable competitive advantage? Some companies in their annual reports, they'll try to tell you, here's what our competitive advantage is. And it might be right, it might be wrong. It's their opinion of it. You really got to look to figure out what you think their advantage is. Are they... You know, some of the common ones are, are they a low cross provider? Do they have some kind of uh, you know, network effect? Like just thinking of um, the iPhone, for example, it's uh, pretty tough to get an iPhone person to go to, the, um, to go to the Android space and vice versa because they're sort of locked into the apps they like, the network they like, the, the interface. Uh, and then you've got network effects like with uh, – with like a meadow with Facebook. And you know, so many people are on it that a competitor would really have to grow to bring all those people, all those people over. Those are just different types of um, competitive advantages out there. So figuring out what this company's real competitive advantage is, that's a, that's a tough one. Uh, and that tends to take up a lot of time when you're, when you're doing research. So those are the bullet points I start with when analyzing the business itself. And it can lead anywhere. Last week, um, Eric, I don't. I think it was you. It may have been Adrian that, that asked me how long it takes to research, and I said that I really don't know. It you, know, you start and you just don't know how far you're going to get. Like Adrian, that market share question. If it turns out that they had such a low market share and I don't like them, I could I can probably be done and ready to move on in an hour. Uh, on the flip side, I can spend days trying to figure out what's the what's the sustained competitive advantage. So let me just recap for our listeners and, and you verify that, in fact, we've captured these. So the five things that you're looking at, <clears throat> number one would be what's the business model? And I'll, I, I do have some questions about several of these. So number one, what's the business model? Number two is what's the market share? You prefer all else being equal, smaller, because that implies that there's room to grow within that industry space. They can capture market share if they're doing things well. Third, is the, is the industry itself growing? If it's a dying industry, even if they're capturing market share, that may be only then very short-lived. Um, conversely, if it's a growing category, even if they're not rapidly expanding their market share, they still could be growing faster than the U.S. economy. Number four, where are they directing their cash flows? Are they directing stock buybacks, dividends, or are they investing in sensible things that can continue to advance the business? Are they investing in their core? Are they investing in sort of fanciful uh, peripheral things that are just wasting money? And then finally, what's their sustainable competitive advantage? Those are the five? Uh, those are the five about the business itself. About the business itself. So, I mean, I think just listening to you um, cite those, I, I think we can all conjure up certain examples of instances in which it was really well, really strategically done to expand into some other business lines. I'm thinking right now, for example, of both Amazon and Microsoft pushing out of their core businesses, Amazon selling things online, Microsoft doing uh, software sales, 
and moving into, um, for example, in Amazon's case, Amazon Web Services. Microsoft also has huge uh, storage and computing services. So that's that's been fantastic as an area of revenue. Hold on, I disagree with you that that's a different business, though. Specifically with Amazon. Oh, okay. Because Amazon, right. to, to me, what Amazon did was they generated revenues. They built the back end of their their retail sales business, right? And the mm -hmm. whole web services just started because they had excess capacity. They had to build that for their business anyway. So they started selling it. And then they realized, hey, this is a good business to be in and expand it, right? If it, it, it's totally different than if uh, uh, Amazon went from selling things uh, online to all of a sudden, it's like, this is actually a great example, uh, the whole space travel thing, you know, Blue Origin that Bezos funded, that's outside of Amazon, right? So that's a totally different business that that founder is putting his money into and investing in. But it's not with Amazon. When with Amazon Web Services, to me, that is that's uh, that's like an, a business that that just spawned. It's same like Prime, um, their Prime uh, like television network that, that they have right now. The it, I think it's just called Amazon Prime, Prime TV. Video. Prime Video. Thank you. Mm -hmm. They ha Netflix's back end was on Amazon Web Service Web Services. So Amazon was able to just flip a switch. They had all the infrastructure in place. All they had to do was get start with getting these licensing agreements for content and, and push it out. So I, I would I would say those aren't necessarily different businesses, as similar to Microsoft. Well, I'm not faulting them. I'm simply observing that it was a B to C idea, and then it became a B to B, and it's just driven huge, huge revenue. Though no just no question, as you've just indicated, that it's sharing the the roots are the same. So. I guess what I would say is coming back to the, some of the other questions I had. So looking at their business model, let, just kind of walk us through, um, walk us through the, the, an A and a B company in an industry where us, at least at a service level, it appears that they're doing the same thing, but upon closer inspection, you'd say, no, there's something distinctively different about their business models that makes them one w w worth owning much more so than the other company. And I, I'm just going to volunteer an example here. So I, I could use ExxonMobil, Conoco, Shell, BP, Marathon Oil as an, examples. So to me, it seems like they are, they are drilling for refining, distributing, and then selling petroleum products. And it doesn't seem to me, at least at my ad admittedly, um, distant level that at least in the nature of the business model it's substantially different although i certainly recognize given the scale particularly of exxon mobile that the that the it's a dominant presence in that category so get, can you give us an example that helps us understand how at least on the first of those five questions the business model examination proves to be a, in some in some instances meaningful in separating out the frogs from the tadpoles well, so for me, the, the business model is, is, is um, not always a comparison of what company A does versus company B. It's as simple as, do I understand what they're doing and do I believe in it, right? So sometimes they're just so complicated where uh, I just say, I, I, don't, I don't get it and that'll be an opportunity to, to move on. I'll give you a recent example. Last year, I was looking at some housing stocks uh, and they were... Uh, I was comparing 
what they do as a what their business models are and you had one that was building it and then uh, they would sell it right you had another that were taking sales orders before before the build you had a, 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 another uh, that was doing the same they had a backlog in addition to that they were working on uh, work they, they had I shouldn't say working on they had a deal where they had said um, we're if we don't have houses that'll that'll sell we're willing to rent them out well as you've seen recently uh, the rental market is very strong a big concern on the economy with the fed fed raising rates is that um, uh, you know, housing prices are going to drop because Payments are going up with higher interest rates. So when I was looking at those three those three companies, the one that was pre-selling and had a plan B set up where if things turn made me a lot more comfortable than the first one that was just building, having a model home and hoping and then trying to sell it. So not that one uh, company based on valuation so on, I think you can definitely look at all all of the companies right but based on the on the current market environment I liked company C in this case because I felt comfortable with one their what I'll call their backup plan and two that could that could become another huge business right they they could they could be the biggest uh, landlord theoretically in the country out there if that proves to be a good space even if it's a temporary space just with what was what the concern was on the US economy it keeps the company running right company a if you if you built a bunch of houses and no one's bought them well then you've got to you, you've just got to wait right your money's tied up in those properties company B if you've built them with pre-sales well what well, well some of those pre-sales are going to fall off the books at least with company C, I have that other other opportunity, and they can keep building, right? They can keep building and renting them out through the market decline. So that's just a, a, an example of the of the business model. But great question. The very first place I'd start is: Do I understand what they're doing? So, and by the way, uh, I, just as a quick aside, you did mention a sixth consideration, which I I failed to enumerate in that list, and that was. The extent to which leadership of the company actually uh, it has skin in the game well, by so owning shares of their company. We have just started on my checklist. That those five things you mentioned were were just mm -hmm. um, in the business. Next thing we look mm -hmm. at management and the owning some of the company that was part of my screen. Um, mm -hmm. And then I've got a couple more criteria. I've got. Um, seven categories that can lead me to deep dive. I think I mentioned on the previous episode, I built a checklist years ago that had almost a hundred different items. And what I found mm -hmm. was that um, was that I still covered those same areas, but the questions are more broad, giving me mm -hmm. uh, a little bit more uh, movement to adjust. Whereas when I had that list of uh, you know almost a hundred items, I was just checking boxes and not I felt like not understanding the company and the business as well as well as I as I well as I wanted to. Okay. Well, I've got more questions on your list, but if you're thinking, Eric, you're killing me here. This is this is gonna turn into a five hour, five part series, and you know how much I Roshan hate series. So don't <laughs> so stop your questions. No, I, if you've <laughs> but got enough, I have another question. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. And I'll try to be I'll try to be more brief with my answers and then we'll go on to the no, next category. No, no, no. I think I, I I mean I know that some of our listeners are going, oh my gosh, where's the where's the channel? How do I change the channel? But some some of them I, I know love this sort of stuff. So 
Um, but here's the question about the um, use of cash flows. So obviously, obviously, if you thought they were directing cash flows towards some sort of Mickey Mouse, useless sideshow type of investment, you, you wouldn't like that. But assuming that they are putting money back into their own get business versus distributing money back to shareholders versus um, doing stock buybacks versus, and I'm going to tweak you here really hard, paying down long-term debt, which of those things, and listeners, the reason I'm doing that is because about a month ago, Roche and I had a raging argument on one of our, our episodes about dividend uh, growth versus high dividend uh, yield strategy. So we, we got into the question of paying down long-term debt. Uh, just ribbing you there a little bit, Roshan. But uh, but of those those ways of deploying capital, do you have one where if by default you tend to favor that or do you tend to favor some evidence of balance or do you tend to favor some rotation through those things depending on the surrounding economic conditions? How, how do you assess the, the one from the other? So uh, my ideal is their business is growing so much they have an unlimited supply of opportunities to reinvest or expand so they can put it back in the company. Just because um, if their uh, dividends are, are nice, I'm not opposed to dividend, but that's not exactly what I'm looking for. When I get stocks that are high yielding dividend stocks or even paying a dividend at all, it's usually, uh, it just happens to be the case. That's not what I was looking for. I want the business to have opportunities to grow. So the other things you mentioned about paying down debt uh, well i'll go over that one last but stock buybacks if the stocks price well and they're buying back great but once again i'd rather them invest in their business i recently heard a company say that th their stock price has gotten got cut almost in half with the uh, market decline last year and they had said they think their stock is priced better than any acquisition opportunity and that's the reason for their buyback i like that as well but just in general, if you're saying uh, talking about stock buybacks, it's it's uh, I don't want them to have a policy of a buyback, just to have a policy of a buyback. I want everything to be opportunistic. And then your final thing about about paying down debt, I actually do like companies with low debt. Our debt example was was where I was on the other side was dividend payments versus versus debt. But I also would want to. Uh, understand the debt situation, right? I want all these things to be strategic and intelligent moves, not just done for the sake of doing it. So if, you're, if you've got 30-year debt and you're paying 2% and you've got an opportunity to expand your business that, that has a double-digit plus return every year, if you're paying down debt in that scenario, I'm not a fan of it. On the flip side, if there's if, if there are no real opportunities to expand because your cash flow is low and your cash flow is low because you've got these huge amount of debt and high interest rates, then I'm all for paying down the debt. So I don't necessarily favor one versus the other, just make the smart move for me, the investor. Great, well, thank you. So you have an, that was looking at the business, now it's management. Management, so I'm trying to uh, understand what, uh, I'm trying to understand how management works and thinks and find out what I can on them. This can also be challenging because some of it you've got to just interpret based on looking at their historical actions. But, but the first one and most basic question is why do I like management? And it's phrased that way because if I don't like management, I don't want to invest in the company. 
because once again, they are managing my money that I'm giving them to invest. Well, if I don't like them, if I don't trust them, if I don't like the decisions they're making, that's a pass no matter how good the business is or how cheap the business is. Um, next, do they think and act like owners? So Eric, going back to your question of uh, how they allocate capital, that very much is, is a part of that of that question. Are they making smart decisions like owners? Oftentimes you'll get, um, you'll see, you'll definitely see management that acts like owners. You'll also see management that, that in some cases will be either ego driven or driven to protect their position or protect their job. Right. And I don't want to be lined up with those types of management. I want management that, that is focused on growing the business. And then finally, do they understand what drives value within the business? And you can see that by where they're allocating capital. So going back to your to your question earlier, uh, because capital allocation, I think, is such a big part of management, management decisions. If I see this company saying, um, you know, we're paying down this low interest rate debt versus not investing in the company, I'm trying to research further as to why, right? Why are they doing this? Because it doesn't it doesn't necessarily um, make sense. Uh, if they, if, if um, uh, using that same example or about investing earlier, we talked about where are they investing their money. If if they're investing in these other businesses that are unrelated to to anything they're they're doing, I remember. Uh, and this isn't about investing in a company. This is just how about 15, 20 years ago. Hollywood discovered that hedge funds would start investing in their movies and most movies lose money, right? So if all of a sudden we see something, I wouldn't want to be in the hedge fund that's investing in Hollywood, Hollywood films. And if I'm seeing something and assuming that I'm researching a company that's not in the entertainment space and all of a sudden they're like, hey, we're going to make a movie. I, I, I'm not going to want to uh, want to be a part of that. So where are they? That was just an extreme example that I remember from years ago. But are they putting their money into a space where they understand where they grow, um, where they can grow the grow the business, or is it something totally different? Like the, in that housing example, right? This company has no experience renting houses, but what did they do? Is they 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 partnered with a management team that does, and this is a backup plan to keep the company growing in a harsh economic environment. I'm a fan of that. If they decided to get into something totally different, like. Uh, we're going to start making movies. Yes, that would be a red flag. Yep. Any other questions? Okay. On that section. On the management section. Man, or anything, anything so far. Liking, liking them and thinking they're they're making good decisions. Yeah, make capable, and that's where their ownership comes into play, right? Especially, I, mm -hmm. I also love if they're buying right now. Right by right now, mm -hmm. I mean if if I'm looking at the stock and I think it's cheap and they're buying, mm -hmm. buying, mm -hmm. I like that uh, as well. So looking at insider purchases and sales, which th those data are available, do they publish? I imagine they publish those either in maybe they're not talking about those on their quarterly calls, which you said you like the transcripts of quarterly calls as a starting point, but I imagine that they have those in. The, either their 10Ks or something along that line. They do. They, they, they've got to file it with mm -hmm. the SEC and the site we mentioned last time, Guru Focus. It it will literally list those transactions as well, so they're easy to easy mm -hmm. to find. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, yeah. And so, and then, do you have a, a preference for um, any other aspects of the management team, such as their ages, their their pedigrees in terms of previous roles, or 
um, a, a mix of internal versus external or anything of that nature? I, I, I like, uh, uh, so not specifically on that. Another thing I do like though, in general is, uh, is, uh, founders are nice. You're, you're, you're not always able to get them, but people who believe passionately in their business, which is why sometimes that stock purchase can be a sign of that. Uh, but you've got situations where you've got you know, founders involved or, or their family. And sometimes that's a red flag because that's nepotism. And other times it's someone trying to extend a family legacy. So you've really got to just dig, dig into that. So the, the management questions are very broad. Uh, I just because I just don't know where where that research and analysis is going to go. I also like people that have that have uh, that have been around for a while. There's one of the companies I own where um, the CEO started uh, as like a low, very low level staff member has worked with the business for you know thirty plus years before becoming a CEO. Bought shares and just been uh, owns owns it as well. So you've who's going to know that business uh, better than that person who's been there for 30 years, worked his way up the ranks, owns and bought shares along the way. You mentioned one once before about the company size. I guess I'm not really thinking so much now about the management team, but I am thinking about the, the, the company. Um, you said you're, you try to cut things off uh, at the billion dollar level below that. It's just, it doesn't seem like it's a fruitful place to go. When you look at the companies that you've picked up, do you have some sort of sense of what the median market capitalization is? So, Eric, it's not that I don't like those smaller cap companies. I'm happy to look at them. Uh, it's just that from a liquidity perspective, it's easier to get in and out of the the bigger companies without moving the price. Uh, but going back to the average market cap, I'd say I, I right now I'm tending to find more in the mid cap space. And I think that that is generally the case, right? With, so what I'm looking for is the uh, beginning of that, that small cap space and up, but it, it tends to be in the mid caps that I, that I find it. But I'm not, uh, that's, not in, that's not necessarily the intent. That's just what I found. Similar to dividends, I, don't, I like them. I'm not looking for them, though. All right. Next, here's another broad one. It's it's what could go wrong, right? If the stock is trading at this price it's at, it's at this lower valuation level, and I believe it's a it's a good business. Well, why is it cheap, right? What why is it at a good price? Why is it showing up? And what could happen with this company or this business that could be wrong? What's the other side? You know, what's the what's the bear case on this stock? And uh, I can't give you an idea of how long or how much time that'll take. It'll just take me as long as I'm comfortable with that, with that answer. So, yeah, I, I, I guess there's some things are exogenous, but some things you're seeing, uh, which you, how you, you could not read that in a report. Although you may have some sort of sense independently of what's going on in the market, what's going on in the economy. Um, so can you give us an example of an instance where, you put two and two together and said, yeah, I don't think this is trending well. Well, so I'll, I'll give you a specific industry that a lot of names have come up for that I've analyzed and is on my list to go back to some specific companies in this space. But in the RV and the boating industries, stocks are just really cheap. And there's a couple in there that have um, 
the management team that seemed to fit the criteria that I'm looking for in a management team and the business that uh, I felt comfortable with, with um, understanding, but I, I passed on it just because, uh, just because I don't know that I'm a believer in the expansion of that space to the rate that they, that the, that those companies are right. And the reason I'm going to, uh, so I, I passed on it in, in terms of the, you know, just going through my list, the business, I felt comfortable understanding the business. The one question I didn't, don't know if I believe in, in that business list is, is, is it a growing market? Right. And that could just be, I need to do more homework. And then, but I got to the point of management and I liked, like management, I got to what could go wrong. And I thought, well, what if all this expansion that's happened in that space is purely people looking for things to do during COVID times? And now things are getting back to back to normal. And that's the point where I ended up passing on it. The reason it's on my list to re to revisit is uh, I just happened to catch an article about about management in one of these companies. And um, I like what I read. And and they've done a great job. If I remember correctly, they started they, they started the business in the late 80s. They've done a great job with the business. And so I'm thinking, OK, they know the business better than I do. If if it, I want to go and spend more time on it, and if I'm not a believer in the business and the space, I'll just pass again, and that's that's enough for me. But uh, when I researched it previously, that my what could go wrong is 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 the growth just COVID related and not real and sustainable. And uh, uh, I'm willing to be wrong on both sides, but the stock is still cheap. I, I, it's worth it's worth potentially spending more time on for me so that the what could go wrong could be really anything that example is i think a really interesting one and a very interesting case study it was obviously the case that when everybody was told stay home and don't go to work that what happened was don't go to restaurants don't go to stores don't do this don't do that suddenly rvs went kaboom yeah and so did boats that yes. just those two industries just blew up and it also coincided with extremely low borrowing rates. So people could finance a purchase like that if they didn't have one already. Uh, I mean, national parks, it's just been unbelievable trying to get a reservation for a campsite in a national park. I'm, I'm aware of that, less familiar with the boating world. But now that rates are up and people are free to go do other things, I guess I would be thinking, hmm, that's, a, that's, a, that's an industry that managed to sell a lot of its the boats and RVs that it would have sold in the mid 2020s and maybe in the late 2020s, it got those all out of the way. It all, you know, it uh, rung the cash register in 2020 and 2021 and now maybe is teed up for a, a, something that's a counter reaction of a slump. And you may hear that and say, that's crazy. You, you're not looking at the numbers and you're absolutely right. I'm not looking at the numbers. So um, is it possible that it's cheap for a reason? That's exactly why I passed on it. What you just described is why I had said, okay, I don't know that I want to uh, want to invest in this at all. Uh, and and I don't if if I had to make a decision today, I'd say I don't want to and I and 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 it, this mm -hmm. is one of those that that's worth moving on. It's just what's changed from the last time I decided to move on, which was, about three months ago, is I read some interesting stuff about management, and I thought, okay, maybe it's worth worth um, looking into it 
further. Okay. And I so, uh, I, so now, I'm not I'm by no means saying that <laughs> I'm going to invest in that or not. It's just that it may be worth spending a little bit more time on um, than I than I had before. That's and it could literally be a ten minute ten minute or uh, probably not ten minutes. It could be an hour long exercise where I decide okay I'm so comfortable this- with what I did. All right. So this question maybe is a little bit off and you can say, Eric, let's say that for later or that's not germane. But since you're looking to buy companies for for the long haul, you think that have long term sustainable competitive advantages. Do you then look to does ever do you find the the roots or this the sort of the genesis of those extended success stories starting in something that seems like it's more. I don't want to say faddish because I don't mean to mean be dismissive of this, but I'm thinking of something like right now pickleball is exploding. And so obviously it doesn't cost as much to buy a pickleball racket as it costs to buy a boat or an RV. But nevertheless, you have you have a, a massive sort of uptick in this particular sport. So is there is that an example of something where you'd say, okay, manufacturers of that or at least the people that construct these these uh, courts or, you know, is there, any, I, I, obviously I know so little about it. Is there some sort of business in there that, that registers as, as something that's promising? Or do you look at that and go, no, that's, it's too small potatoes or it's too faddish or how do you, how do you think about that? So I, with the pickleball, I mean, example, I, I'd want to start with the company, you know, are they growing and do they meet the valuation? numbers I'm looking for. I'll give you a different example that I think sort of lines up with what you're looking at is uh, the AI space. I think there's a huge opportunity in the artificial intelligence space, but those companies aren't making money right right now. They, they tend to be in the uh, burning money phase versus the, the making money phase. So they don't show up as something I'll look into because I want something that's, that's growing revenue, but growing prof- uh, profitably. And all of those companies are losing money. So those those numbers I gave you earlier of return on capital and return on equity, they're going to show up as negatives. So I, I won't even end up spending time on it. So I, I I compare that to pickleball because if there is, I don't know who the leader in that space is. But you know, said differently, let's just say hypothetically, there's another tennis Wilson uh, that makes tennis rackets and basketballs and so on is now expanding and they're they're the dominant player in pickleball that might be an opportunity but I, I have no I I know it's the fastest growing sport but I have no idea who the uh, players are in that in that space in terms of the mm-hmm. equipment providers okay. all right well good um, so, so we went you over talked about companies and, and management what's next yeah we talked about the business management what could go wrong next is price and valuation right and Here's an interesting one because what I've learned over time is that each company deserves its own valuation metric. And I don't mean you've got to create, uh, reinvent the wheel. I just mean there's so many ways you can value businesses and companies that you've got to figure out which one you believe applies in this case. So typically when it's, when it's um, uh, a company that I'm looking at, I'm looking at uh, cash flows and or, and or earnings and looking at trying to create some sort of present value based on that, including the numbers I've, I've generated with growth and expansion. So like with the uh, with their growth and their return on capital, I'm looking at long term averages and do I expect them to continue versus just what happened last year or the year before. And um, 
than the future future value of the business. Like there's one company we looked at that's uh, an auto dealer and they're they're expanding buying more dealerships. So I broke down looking back the last 20 plus years at their profitability per dealership and then what what should that lead its value to be? Uh, so because they're continuing to expand and grow and have more more dealerships. So to me that made the most sense versus using because if I'm using a 10 or 20 year average of their of their cash flows, well 10 years ago they they had a third of the dealerships they have right now so that 10 year 10 years ago number is really not that relevant today so that's where so what i have written down here is what are they worth and why what valuation metric am i using and why and then what is my target price so i've got to answer all of those all of those questions that part is not as complicated as the first two, which is why it's intentionally later on. In general, with the screens I'm using, I'm going to find stocks that appear to be undervalued. So that valuation metric should probably line up anyway, but I still want some kind of price. The other thing is um, there's so, so many assumptions involved that valuation is not a science by any means. Right. It's, it's more art than science. So I think it's uh, I want to buy something that's selling at a good price, but it is intentionally uh, fourth on the list because I believe if they're meeting the other if I found them through my screen or any of the other sources I, I use to normally reading and research. The first thing I'll look at are some of these numbers if I just heard of a stock that I, that I hadn't before. And that'll tell me whether it's worth looking into. But it's really got to pass those other other hurdles. And I believe that that I'm already fishing in a place where the stock's probably selling at a good price. But it's very possible I get through those first two steps, spend a bunch of time on it, come to valuation, and it's not selling at a good price. And my time was was for now wasted. But similar to that uh, RV company I mentioned, the research I've done already, I've already done. So if I go back and look at it again in the future, it, it's uh, I don't have to spend the days and hours I did previously. It'll just take me a very short amount of time to catch up on what I did before and then continue my research. So now you're when you're talking about valuations, obviously, that's that's an area that I understand better and because it is just a quantitative assessment. But let me ask you then another question about valuations. <clears throat> so as you are well aware, certain industries trade at different multiples, valuation multiples, historically, than other industries do. Some industries sustain, you know, higher valuations or high, higher multiples and, and manage to manage to preserve those on a sustained basis. And and, and the opposite for other industries. It's also the case that that can be observed at the company level, that certain companies themselves mm -hmm. um, have persistently higher um, multiples on those valuation ratios, whereas some others have persistently lower ones. So we call the first of those types where you're comparing to other companies or other industries, we call that cross-sectional comparisons. The latter, where you compare a current valuation of a company or an industry to its own history of valuations, that is known as a longitudinal um, comparison. So in your case, have you do you employ one or the other strictly, or do you use both? How, how do you approach those kinds of valuation assessments? I will look at that after the fact. 
So what I'm looking mm -hmm. at first is what do I think this business is worth? That's it. What do I think this business is worth? After that, I'll look at what is it, what is it worth historically? What is it worth compared to, uh, to the industry? So it's got to first, it's got to first pass my test of being cheap enough. And the, well, you know, the reason the, I asked that is, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that the, uh, the, one of, one of the, uh, valuable one of considered one of the most valuable, um, contributions of Benjamin Graham was the margin of safety, meaning you're buying mm -hmm. a company so cheap mm -hmm. that if you're wrong on, on something with your analysis, you should still have a very minimal downside risk. So I need mm -hmm. the company to be to be at uh, ideal. The ideal scenario here is buying a fifty cent dollar. I think it's worth a dollar. Mm -hmm. It's trading at fifty cents. And now, mm -hmm. if you once you start looking at their future prospects and and their growth, it's it, it's not easy to find. But they're also not as rare as finding like. Um, Another thing Benjamin Graham was famous for were these net-net companies, right? Trading for a net of their mm -hmm. value. But we talk mm -hmm. about different valuation metrics. In that net-net comparison case, you're, you're looking at companies that, that, really could, um, that really could go out of business, right? What, mm -hmm. But I, I don't want that, so I'm not looking for the net-net. What I'm looking for are companies that I think will continue to grow and grow and expand. So, so that's where picking the right one based on the business type is important. Well, the reason I asked that Roshan is be, it, it, it's something that I would say is a challenge for me in some of the models that I do. And I don't want to turn this to talk about, I would not about those models that I use, but instead just the principle here, I may find a business that I think, dang, this is initially, dang, this business is trading at 50 cents. Uh, when it should be a dollar, I'm buying a dollar basically for 50 cents. That's uh, that's a bargain. Come to find out later, well, wait a second. That company pretty much always trades at 25 cents when it should be a dollar. Oh, yeah. And I just double, I just, I just overpaid for it relative to itself, at least at 50 cents. So the longitudinal um, comparisons are ones that they're harder to do than the cross-sectional ones. And, and so I just wondered if, because you are taking that deeper look, if that if that factors into your thinking, I definitely do. I definitely look at historical PE pricing that the company will have. What does it mm -hmm. typically trade at from a PE perspective? But mm -hmm. that um, I read once that there there are two ways you can make make money. Right, the company is going to expand and PE expansion. So if they're trading mm -hmm. at a at a low PE compared to where they were relatively. I like that. You know that that makes me feel better about the PE expan expansion side of things. Uh, mm -hmm. However, um, if I, at that point it really is, it, it really is a judgment call with what I believe, right? If I think it's cheap mm -hmm. enough and growing enough, and it's trading at its current PE, so let's say it it's it's trading at a PE of seven, and it always trades at a PE of seven. Well, if this company's growing at 10, 15% a year, what a PE of seven means will be higher next year than it is this year, right? So then mm -hmm, I've got to look, mm -hmm. at, look at the, the growth there. So that might, in that scenario, what you described, it might tell me, well, PE expansion is not going to help um, drive this, but 
I believe they're going to still grow at this. At, they've had a history of growing at a higher rate than, than the markets typically do. And I believe that'll continue. That, in that scenario, I'll be fine with it. But if I don't <laughs> think that industry is going to grow, which means that PE uh, multiple expansion is not going to happen anyway, well, I usually don't make mm -hmm. it to this step. So I, I'd like to think that a lot of what you, the question you just asked is solved by number one and two. Uh, or one, two, and three. However, in step four, where I'm looking at the, val the valuation of the business, if I don't feel comfortable there, in each of these scenarios, anytime you feel like it's not meeting what you're looking for, you've got to be ready to, ready to move on. And as I said, the valuation normally looks good just because of the screens anyway. So mm -hmm. I've got to feel comfortable that I, that I think that the company is going to, if the business grows, the stock price will follow. All right. So we've dealt with the business. We've dealt with the management team. We've dealt with what can go wrong. We've dealt with valuations. Are there other categories that are part of your deep dive? Yeah. Um, uh, well, next is, am I comfortable holding this for a minimum of two years and why? And underneath mm -hmm. that, the subcategory is if the stock dropped, assuming nothing else has changed fundamentally with the company, would I feel comfortable holding it or buying more? And that's got to be a yes for both of those. Mm -hmm. If it's not that, that's that's it, it's time to time to move on again. That sounds more like then an independent. And then I'm not. By the way, I am not in any way uh, faulting this means of decision making because I think that is actually a, a big difference between your approach and my approach. Is is I just don't trust my my judgment about some of those things, so I make it all you know, rules-based, all quantitative, mm -hmm. but given how much time then you've spent in the, in the call transcripts and in the, the very, the annual reports and all the other documents, what it sounds like you're saying there is, is that I, I have to have some sort of global, maybe if I'm, if I'm thinking about this right, uh, right brain sort of sense that this, this, whether I can pinpoint what it is, I have to have some sort of global sense now that uh, or now I, maybe intuition is the wrong word, but just some sort of sense about the company that I feel comfortable I could hang on to this. Is that is is that what you're saying? Is it's just this kind of global synth synthesis of all the inputs and all the data without necessarily being able to point to one single thing? Well, I, I would have reasons why I had that conviction, right? So so mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not pointing it at, at at one single thing necessarily, but like with that. Um, a uh, home builder I mentioned, for example, am I comfortable holding it for two years? Yes, I'm comfortable holding it for two years. The valuation's good. They're paying a little bit of a dividend. I believe in management. They've historically uh, had a return on equity of over 12%. When management came in, they had a 3% return on equity. And one of their primary goals was to, they were the lowest in the industry, was to be the highest in the industry. And they accomplished that. So all these things, it's really a compounding of little things that make you have the conviction that if the stock price just drops because of, and, and once again, nothing significant happened within the company. If the stock price just mm -hmm. drops because of the market and the economy, am, and, am I willing to hold? That's a, a yes. Right? And on that valuation earlier, I think it's a 50 cent dollar. So I'm willing to hold and, and even potentially, once again, assuming nothing major has changed, buy more versus uh wanting to sell i don't want to buy okay. anything i won't hold for at least two years typically from um, my research 
if you're buying these 50 cent dollars, it takes 18 to 36 months to reach fair value. And if you're buying a true compound or a company that's continuing to grow, well, the valuation is now worth more 18 to 36 months down the road. So if I'm not willing mm-hmm. to stay the course, then I shouldn't buy it at all. Okay. So business management team, what could go wrong? Valuations. And now would I be comfortable holding it for two years? And why? Is, is there another? And why? Uh, yeah. Is there another consideration? Yeah. So this is different from what could go wrong, but this is why am I right and why is the market wrong? Right? Mm. So what could go wrong means, to, to me, means what could go wrong with the business? What, what could go wrong with, with the future growth? Here it's why do I think the current price is wrong? So I hope you can understand the difference. One is business driven. One is price, price driven. And um, this is... Could could be anything. What I what I think a lot a lot of what I believe right now is uh, is I think the market's thinking very short term, and I think if you think long term, that gives you an opportunity, and it can literally be as simple as that. Why did the stock price go down? Well, because of what's going on with the. Just, just as an example, going back to that housing, why is the stock going down? Well, Fed raising rates, more causing mortgage rates to go up, potentially less less home sales. The, to, the counter to that is we have an undersupply going back now 14 years, uh, and the companies mm-hmm. continue to expand. They have a multi-year backlog of homes to build that are pre-sold, and then they've got a backup plan of these rentals. So why do I, in that example, why do I think I'm right and the market ro- is wrong? I think the market's being short-sighted in this case with what's, go- what's going on with the overall macro economy, I think they're overstating what's going to impact the the company itself. And I think the company is prepared for that. And I didn't mention this on the on the analysis uh, at all when we when we went through this, but I'm going through their annual reports, their balance sheets and so on. So in the housing company, uh, their balance sheet is strong where they can withstand a decline. The stock, it might slow how long it takes the stock price to recover, but they can withstand the recession. They can re- withstand the slowing in home prices. And if this rental model works out, not only will they, will, will they withstand it, they'll do it profitably, highly profitably. Right. So that's just an example of, of what I, when I'm looking at what could go wrong, I'm looking at anything that could go wrong that, that, that could cause the business to suffer. When I'm looking at why am I right and the market's wrong, that's specific to why do I believe it's mispriced. And you're, what you mm-hmm. talked about earlier with some companies just having a lower valuation, if my answer is just, well, uh, valuation's low, but it sort of always tends to be low, that's another reason to pass. Okay. I've got uh, one Is other, there another category? One other question yeah. is what percentage will I buy and why? Am I going to buy the minimum or the maximum if I don't want to buy the maximum, I want to know the rationale behind it. If I found this great deal that's met all all of my screens, why am I not willing to do a maximum uh, position on it? So that's that's the next step. And if I ever want to expand what I'm buying in there, I've got to revisit this checklist, look at all these things. So so if the stock price goes down and I want to buy more, I've got to revisit this checklist and then answer that question again why am i buying more when i only wanted to buy x before and in mm-hmm. um in most recently with what's going on in the market it's it's literally been as simple as i'm concerned about the markets pulling back further and maybe i can get it at a better price if it's that simple then it then mm-hmm. it's a buy other scenarios are could be things like well i own multiple other companies in this space 
and I don't want to get too much in this industry or sector. So that would be a scenario where the stock price dropped, and unless I'm willing to sell something else, I'm not adding to the position. Mm-hmm. The there's one so, last category which is just general yeah. notes, and that can lead to anywhere. It can be a question um, uh, that I had earlier, like for example, um, in, in recent history, there was a company I was looking at, and the question of where they're investing their cash flow, it's to it, it, it's for acquisitions. Well, then my automatic first question is, are they acquiring these companies at a good price? So I'll put that in my notes and make sure I answer that before I do before I do anything. I might just find that through my regular research. Uh, but if I don't, I've got that category to make sure I go back and revisit those, those items. Hmm. So then uh, two other questions. One is, do you find that this process leads you to on balance, rarely make purchases in certain industries, certain sectors that you've, you, you've just noted. Yeah. I never, I never seem to find anything there that, that meets checks all the boxes. And conversely is, are there some industries where you find, wow, I really apparently have a love affair with this, this category. At least they, they are the companies that match the sorts of long-term holds that I'm looking for. Uh, not at all times. The market Mm -hmm. tends to dislike certain industries at the same time, so we'll tend to find a lot of names. So I mentioned on our previous episode, they're uh, on the list. There are a lot of housing, a lot of RV, a lot of boating uh, companies that are are Mm -hmm. showing up uh, on the screens right now. And so it's not that I... the research does compound so it's easier to understand the business model of housing company b as i've studied housing company a but it's it's just mm-hmm. what's going on in the economy that leads to it like there was a, a a healthcare name that came up that i have not i've not researched yet uh but that that's on my list where i'll deep dive on them next i was just excited to see a healthcare different industry different space and name and i want to learn learn more about it so it's the ideas that come up lead to it and the economy and the markets tend to lead those into specific areas. 0809, you're okay, seeing a bunch then, of banks, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the, I, I one last question that, that occurs to me here is, is at some point we all find, oh, I, my, I was wrong. Yep. And so what does it take for you to say, oh, that was... <laughs> I, I, everything seemed like it was all lined up. Now the thesis, I have to revise it. Um, what does it take to get you to say, even if it hasn't reached your two-year mark, to say, sorry, time to cut ties. Let's move on. There has to be something fundamentally wrong, right? The the, the growth and expansion plan that I that 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 I thought they were doing, and when I say I thought, it's going to be because that's what they said, right? I'm seeing this in their annual report. Mm-hmm. Well, they're saying they're doing this, but they're actually spending their money in a different space, right? Mm-hmm. Or if there's a uh, if there's a specific business line or product that they're that they that they have, and we're just demand goes is dying for that for that product. Like I was, uh, I haven't made any change because of this, but just. Uh, I just read an article about the uh, semiconductor space and that that we had such a shortage and now they're thinking there's a potential glut in that space, right? That's mm-hmm. something that could get me to change my view on a uh, semiconductor business. Now, this was a general article. I do own uh, semiconductor stocks, but I've got to uh, I've got to go back to my analysis now 
And if, if I, if at my conclusion of, of that analysis, I'd say, okay, well, it was based on this kind of growth, this kind of expansion, and that's not what's going to happen. That would be a scenario where it would be a, it would be a change. I don't really see this often, but another thing, I, I couldn't tell you the last time I saw it, but another thing could be some kind of management change. Now, I would, I'd love a business where the management doesn't matter, but if I put my trust in management, uh, uh, management team A, and there's a change, I'm going to revisit it. And then if management mm -hmm. team B is going down a direction I don't like, that would be another, uh, another reason. I mean, each of these have reasons to change your mind. The first one on the business was what I mentioned earlier with semiconductors management with what could go wrong. Maybe whatever I thought could go wrong starts to happen, right? And that would be another reason. Mm -hmm. Price and valuation. Well, if you start seeing a slow in growth, you would see an adjustment to your valuation target. And if it's not a good deal, it's just not a good deal anymore. And the question of why am I right and the market's wrong could be wrong, <laughs> right? I could be wrong and the market could, could have been right, right the whole time. And there's another, mm -hmm. another factor, just all the housing commentary I made earlier. Well, in that, the government could keep raising rates faster. Housing could slow faster than I thought. And their uh, potential rental business could, could prove unfruitful. If all those were to happen, then that would be another reason to, mm -hmm. uh, to get out as well. So there's no specific answer, but if anything affected those, those major, you know, seven categories or really uh, six categories, the seventh just being what amount you're buying. But if anything could significantly impact those six major categories, that would be a reason to revisit the decision and, and potentially go the other way. So to this point, you've talked about really individuals, the considerations that go into the assessment of which individual company you, whose stock you'd like to own. What we haven't really talked about so much is maybe a little bit. I asked you the question about um, concentration in certain sectors and what have you. But at, thinking about it at a larger portfolio level, do you have any other sorts of constraints that will sometimes cause you to override a decision because you say, you know what, I'm way too concentrated in this or you know, something of that nature. And if, and if that doesn't apply, do you then sometimes look at the portfolio and you go, man, I really want to own this next one. But I, which, of my, which, of, which of the other things do I sell or shave down to you know, create some sale proceeds so that I now have the wherewithal, the capital to now deploy into this new company? How do you, how do you handle those portfolio level decisions? So uh, I try to make sure uh, I've I've got um, I try to make sure that I've and I won't have I, I normally don't go this high but I do sometimes I won't have more than twelve and a half percent in any single single stock and if it's an industry type decision I try to make sure that that industry is capped at that similar level most of the positions okay. aren't that high. Uh, at the same time, mm -hmm. I try to make sure there isn't less than 3% in, in a company. So I'm normally looking mm -hmm. at, and I know if you multiply you know, 12 and a half, uh, 100 divided by 12 and a half, you're not going to get this number, but it just tells you how rarely that 12 and a half happens. That would be eight companies. But I never mm -hmm. want less than 10, and I don't want more than 30. So I'd be happy with 30 okay. different companies if I can, if I can find mm -hmm. them. Uh, but mm -hmm. I don't want 10. Now, your question of if I find a company I really like, well, it's got to be better than what I've got, right? So that's when I'll mm -hmm. look at 
all of the individual companies. So if I'm if it's fully invested, got to look at all the individual companies and say, okay, well, what what do I want to sell to make room for this and why? Mm-hmm. And there could be a variety of answers there. That other company could just be, I think, a better opportunity, or the other one could have gone up in value, and and uh, and I want to take some profits on it. It, it. There could be a lot mm-hmm. that goes into that one. So in terms of turnover at the portfolio level, how much would you say uh, you're trying is, is again, you're trying to hold these things for the long term. So it's got to be painful. Yes. It's something you've invested so much time and effort in and, and such to, you know, to shave it down or let alone to part with it. So how much that that probably leads to fairly low turnover level in your portfolio? It does. I actually don't have the data behind that, but I can't okay. imagine turnover being um I can't imagine. I think turnover is going to be in the in the single digits neighborhood oh, on there. Uh, wow. So it's mm-hmm. going to be relatively relatively low. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, today today's a trading day for me on one of the the strategies, and I was just looking at it beforehand. And there's going to be a lot of turnover today, so it's uh, it's it's cool to hear you your approach where that's that's not the case. Yeah. And once again, if you're investing in the business, businesses mm-hmm. take decades to change, let, you know, let alone years when, you know, the turnover ratio typically is looking at, is looking at one year change, right? So if you've, if you found mm-hmm. something that you like for the long term, and once again, nothing's changed in the, um, uh, in the long term thesis of, of it, you, you, you hold. Uh, but we, you know, we talked about multiple strategies. I've got another individual stock strategy, Eric, that I use where um, there's typically 20% turnover uh, a year, which means they're keeping 80% of the 80% of the names. Which in the uh, investment in mutual fund uh, world is considered, you know, considered low, 20% or below. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Well, we are at the we're at the longer end of our normal um, episode length, but I this is a fascinating discussion. I want to make sure that there's nothing that you felt was really important to for our listeners to understand about this approach. It's not you know the just pure quantitative approach that I use. It's really digging in and and getting to know these companies. Is there any other thing that you think our listeners would profit from learning uh, about this this method or this approach and uh, well, well i'll just mention that you know similar to what we talked about last week this is um this is something where i've been able to take from my research analysis things that have worked successfully for investors in the past so I, i'm just mm-hmm. trying to look at what's worked and and continue with it so nothing is is really mine aside from how i chose to pull it together in a le- in a way that's comfortable mm-hmm. for me it is really from mm-hmm. a lot of uh, successful investors. And so I'm looking at, uh, when I look at this, it, it looks like I'm just picking something that's worked, right? It doesn't look like it's mm-hmm. it's that. that I, I know as we go through the data, there's a lot of information out there, but it, I think, it's, mm-hmm. it, I think it's, it's more simple than it sounds when you get start getting through the process. Mm-hmm. Great. Adrian, do you have any final questions? Before we adjourn, 
Well, we touched on last episode. It's really just stacking the deck in your favor. We know as investors, there are limitations when it comes to just learning everything you can about a business or investing, but all these categories and different investing approaches that we brought up today were just ways that you can really help come to a sound decision on whether investment's right or wrong for you. So I really like that point that we've been hammering on just to really put the odds in your favor. Yeah, to our listeners, we, we thank you so much, first of all, for sticking with us this long. And we just want to emphasize, uh, if you're newer to our show, this is not necessarily the depth, in that, uh, at least on this one investment topic that we usually pursue. There's, we explore, encourage you to go to our website, retirementlifestyleshow.com. Go up to the top of the page. There's an all episodes tab, and you can then open up everything in reverse chronological order. Use the search box to find topics that are of interest to you. You'll find we deal with a lot of other things, and and uh, but but we don't deny that there is an analytical tilt to our thinking, and so it is for us uh, a lot of fun to both do what we do and also to talk about what we do. That te- that technical or or analytical. Um, capacity and disposition though i think at this point also bleeds into uh, the other aspects of what we do which is in planning and and helping you succeed on the goals that you're pursuing so we invite you to if you haven't done so already explore more of those episodes if you also if you haven't commented on our show please do we love uh, to get feedback if you haven't rated our show please do that it also helps other listeners discover the show And so for next week, I will be out at a conference. We're not going to try as we've done in weeks past to have me uh, try to get in only to find it's a failure. So gentlemen, I hope you have a ton of fun uh, next week with, uh, with next week's episode. In fact, I think I know the topic. Have you decided on it? We have not yet. So if you know it, you're ahead of us. (laughs) I I thought we'd had a little bit of a, a little bit of a chat about that. So, okay. But in any case, uh, listeners, thanks so much for listening. And we'll be back again next week with another episode of the Retirement Lifestyle Show. Schedule a conversation with Roshan, Adrian, or Eric today at retirementlifestyleshow.com. Roshan and Eric are certified financial planner practitioners. They, along with Adrian, are investment advisor representatives and serve clients across the U.S. with financial planning and investment advice through RHA Wealth. If you found this show helpful, gain knowledge, or enjoy the time you spent with us, tell your friends and leave us a five-star review. This will help others discover the show. To access our show notes, to download any of the tools mentioned in today's podcast, to ask us a question, or to schedule a conversation, go to retirementlifestyleshow.com. All opinions expressed by podcast hosts and guests are solely their own. While based on information they believe is reliable, neither RTA Wealth nor its affiliates warrants its completeness or accuracy, nor do their opinions reflect the opinion of RTA Wealth. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and should not be regarded as specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. The show hosts offer investment advice through RTA Wealth Advisors, LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor, and securities through RTA Wealth Management, LLC, member FEMRA, SIPC, and NFA. Finally, our music is The Chance by Jason Shaw and Audionautics.
It's part of the YouTube Audio Library, and it's licensed under a Creative Commons license. I am Ray Voices. Thank you for listening.